You are listening to the Passion City Church Podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, D.C., visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. But to our question tonight, I'm super excited to talk about it. Um, It's just the light, the little light question you might think about, um, but why or is Jesus the only way. You could just say, why is Jesus the only way if you already think that he is? Or you could just say, is Jesus the way? It's a great question. It's something that as I've been looking into it, it it just continues to encourage me. But I do wanna also just give a little caveat before I jump in. Um, There are two assumptions I'm making in this message. I don't have time to go through all the apologetics uh, questions of all time. So I'm gonna give you the two assumptions that I'm making. I just wanna be open. Um, The first one is God is real. So these are two assumptions I'm making that I have come to believe are true, but it's okay if you have not. But just so you know, I do. So that's why they're assumptions and I'm gonna stand on them as we go through this thing. But at the very end, there will be a slide. It won't be at the end of the talk, it'll be at the end end. And so you can put, get your phone out and take a photo and there's a bunch of resources on there. I really highly recommend you read them. Um, I read through some of them, all of them while I was working on this message and they're just really phenomenal. So that's God is real. Number one, and number two, the Bible is true. And the Bible is true, again, those are things based on a lot of uh, not just faith. We have faith that the Bible is true, absolutely. But it's not a blind faith. And so thankfully, I've even had the opportunity to study some of it in the Greek, and it is phenomenal. Like, the evidence is profound. It is, by far and away, the most reliable ancient manuscript we have And so I just would really encourage you to jump into that. Again, we don't have time for that tonight. But number one, God is real. Number two, the Bible is true. So let's get to the question today. Is Jesus the only way to God or to salvation? Or is he just a way to God or to salvation? Um, Because that's what, as Christians, that's what we believe, right? You may have heard someone say that, you know, is Jesus the only way? Um, Isn't that exclusive? Uh, what does, exclusive just means, you know, leaving someone else out or it's restricted to a certain group um, or person. So is it unloving um, that the truth is exclusive? Are there lots of ways to God, um, a lot of ways to get to heaven? Um, or we, don't we all just end up in the same place? You know, you might have heard it this way, like there's a, a mountain and we're all on different sides. Like I'm not much of a hiker. I don't know if you could tell that by looking at me, but I'm not. <laughs> Um, but I like the outdoors in small doses, but I do know this about hiking because of that, uh, that character trait. I know that there are different paths up to di- like the same location. Does that make sense? You can choose the beginner hike, which would be me, and then you can choose you know, advanced or intermediate or whatever, and they might start at different points. Uh, some might need more gear. Um, one might go straight up. You won't see me there. But one might go kind of winding around, it's really cute, and it starts in a parking lot. <laughs> that's more like my speed. But that's what we sometimes you know, equate that with religion. We say, well, there's just this mountain, and we're all starting at different points, and we're all well, making our way up, and doesn't it, it doesn't really matter which way we go, as long as we, we're all going the same place, right? That is so... Uh, perfect for the culture we live in, right? It really lends itself to that kind of thinking because we live in a a postmodern, relativistic, pluralistic culture. All those big words, it just means we live in a time in history that considers uh, truth as relative, 
right? As you can line them all up next to each other and they are all equally valid. And they can all coexist and they can all be true. Culture says truth is true only as far as my experience confirms it to be true, right? So everything is true if I say so and nothing is true if I don't. And in our way to view the world, we might say even my truth, you know, my truth, I love that for you. Speak your truth, girl. You know, that's my truth. And while it is true, we have unique experiences. Like for me, my truth might be like, I like cookies and they're the best. And for you, your truth might be like, well, no, I'm more of a cake girl, cake guy. That's me, that's my truth. And that's, that's just different experiences, right? That's not our truth, that's not the, the truth. That's just saying, uh, that's my, my quality. That's something I like about myself. Right, but it's not reality. I'm not saying, I'm not totally upsetting reality and saying it's, it's just reality because I say so. We kind of have that world, like it's almost like you get a truth and you get a truth and you get a truth. But like, I actually don't get to decide what truth is. I don't get to decide what reality is. I don't make up what's good and what's evil. I don't make up when I live or when I die or when the sun rises or when the sun sets. There's this undercurrent of reality and I don't get to make it up. We've let this idea of relativism and applying our own experience to make something true or not to spiritual truth as well, even Jesus. We hear things like Jesus, Mohammed, Gandhi, Nirvana, self-help, karma, reincarnation. It's all the same, crystals, good vibes, you know, just put it all together and we can have a little bit of each, right? I have three kids um, and this summer was like their best summer ever. They all got to sleep together in one room. They're nine, seven, and four. And it was crazy because they, they put all their mattresses on the floor and pillows and blankets and all the things. And they got one big blanket and put it over the mattress and they set, called it the dream mattress. So dreamy. And it was the best, it was the best ever. They slept on it all summer, all summer long. But it's not the best spiritual logic. Because I think that's what we do, right? We kind of put something here and something there, a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of self-help, a little bit of you know, good vibes, and then we cover it all up and act like it's not lumpy and act like it's all the same thing, when in reality, it will never be the same thing. It will never become one thing. It will all be disjointed and lumpy. So no one's climbing the same mountain. They're all different mountains. In his book, I just want us to see how this is logically, uh, this all roads lead to the same place. It does not hold up logically. So in his book, Case for Christ, which I highly recommend, um, atheist turned Christian Lee Strobel, he interviews a panel of religious leaders from the three major world religions. And y'all, each one of them actually agreed on something. They disagreed on two things. They agreed that they disagreed on two things. So the first thing is they all had a different idea who Jesus was. And the second thing was that they all had a different idea about what exclusive truth was. They all actually claimed that they each actually claimed that their truth was exclusive, that something in their religion was exclusive. So there is no common goal, right? There's no pinnacle or destination to be reached that each religion can agree on. They actually agreed that they had to disagree. And so no one's climbing the same mountain. They're each with different goals, each with different ideas on how to get to the top, different ideas on how to achieve eternal life. They're not saying the same thing in different terms. We might hear that sometimes. Well, they're all the same thing. They just, we call it something different. 
These, these, these religious experts said no. We actually are saying that they are all different and we've agreed to disagree. Tim Keller, I'll pop this quote up there, says it's no more narrow to claim that one religion is right than to claim that one way to think about all religion is right. We are all exclusive in our beliefs about religion, but in different ways. So logically, these things never reach the same goal. Even the person who says they're all the same is actually exclusive in that claim. And so all religions make exclusive claims. Only Christianity claims that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So exclusivity is not the hallmark of Christianity, Jesus is. So we have to decide who is Jesus. And outside of Christianity, some people say he's a prophet, some say he's a good moral teacher. C.S. Lewis, this might be the most well-known quote about this famous argument, um, and he makes it actually against the fact that if Jesus was just a moral teacher, and this is what he says, y'all. It's so long when it comes up, just laugh, go ahead. <laughs> you can take a picture of it, I'm gonna read it. I'm trying here, this is C.S. Lewis, to, to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, meaning Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God, but let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a good human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So we weren't the only ones to ask who Jesus was. This has been going on as far back as even when Jesus walked the earth. The people were trying to figure out who he was all the time, literally all the time. In fact, there were huge fights over who he was. Was he a prophet? Was he the devil? Was he the Lord? But throughout it all, Jesus was the only one not having an identity crisis. He said he was the light of the world. He said, I'm the bread of life. I'm the gate. I'm the living water. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. He said, I, I am eternal life. He said, this is eternal life, that you know my Father and you know the one he has sent. And so our first um, two assumptions, remember back, uh, if God is real and if the Bible is true, then we have a third assumption and we really have to take it seriously. It's Jesus is who he says he is. So if God is real and if the Bible is true, then Jesus is who he says he is. And so we see um, that he has two claims that stand out. I just read a few of them. He said, I'm the gate, I'm the bread. But there are two that stand out that really bolster this claim that Jesus is who he says he is. Number one, Jesus said that he is the Messiah. He explicitly claims to be the Messiah, the savior of the world, the long-awaited one of God who would redeem the entire world. And so here it is, and um, you can go with me to John 4. I'm just gonna hit verse 19, but this is the story of, um, a little story about the woman at the well, and we're not gonna read the whole thing. It's an amazing story. Um, you know, Jesus, he's crossing over, uh, and he has to go through Samaria, um, he's, he left Judea, he's coming back to Galilee, but he had to go through Samaria. He actually didn't have to. In that time, they would go around Samaria because they didn't get along. But I just think it's so beautiful that Jesus is about to 
reveal who he is explicitly. He doesn't do this very often. He's kind of implicit with his um, sayings. He's, they're already trying to look for reasons to kill him. So he doesn't always just say, hey, I'm the son of God. But in this story, he chooses to reveal himself to the Samaritan woman, and it's so beautiful. So he meets her at the middle of the day. This is not the normal time for women to come draw water. Um, you may have heard the story, but, but we can maybe, uh, it alludes to the fact that maybe she was lonely, that maybe she was ashamed. She came in the middle of the day. She didn't have, um, any, any, she didn't have any women around her, and they might have come later in the day. But she meets Jesus, and then they have this conversation, and he asks her for a drink. And then she's like, well, you don't even have anything to draw with because he's saying, I'm the living water. And she's like, you, you don't have anything to draw with. How can you be the living water? He's like, if you only knew who asked you for a drink, you would ask them and they would give you, he would give you living water. And he's, she's like, okay, I want that, right? And so he said, but go get your husband and bring him back. And she said, I don't have a husband. And he said, yeah, you're right. You had five, but the one you're living with now isn't your husband. And then she kind of changes the subject. And this is where we pick up. So verse 19, sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet, obviously. I love that, because I'm like, is this like sarcastic? Like she just sort of, sort of wants to take the, you know, focus off of herself? Or is she really interested in this question she's about to ask? But either way, Jesus answers her earnestly and it's really beautiful. So, sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped here on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place that where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. There it is, in truth. So some worship on this mountain. I love that there's this illustration physically. They're in the middle of this you know, field. They're at Jacob's well. They could look out and see the mountain that she's talking about. Like, I heard that you worship on this mountain. And we worship on this mountain. Which one's right, Jesus? And it's like the one over here that he's saying, you worship what you do not know. You would have seen these Asherah poles, all these altars to gods that were not the one true God, that dotting the countryside, dotting the landscape. And then when you look in the other mountain, you see the Temple Mount. That's where the Jewish people would go and worship. He said they do worship who they know, the God who can be known. But then this is what he says. And he says the time is coming and has now come. And that's why I love what we were talking about, the time is now, because in the Greek, it doesn't say the time has come, it says the time is now. It said the time is, there's a time coming, future. I really think he's looking towards the cross in that moment. The time is coming, and then the time is also now. There's a lot of really good theology in the Bible, you should read it. But it's, it's the time is coming, is coming, the cross, and then also we are in that moment, it's still coming. We're not there yet, we're not in heaven. So there's this, this tension here. But then Jesus said, but it is also now. Why did he say that? Why did he say it's now? Because Jesus was saying, you're not gonna worship here, and you're not gonna worship here, you're gonna worship here. Like, you're not gonna go to a place to worship, you're gonna wor worship me. I'm here, uh, it's the now is here. And so I love that, she said, this is what she says. 
The woman said, I know that Messiah will explain everything to us when he comes. I'm like, he's right there. Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Jesus is the Messiah. A few chapters later in John 8, this brawl breaks out again. So it's not just, you know, outcast women who don't know who Jesus is. It's these, all these religious leaders and they're saying, you know, well, like, what if he's a demon? And how does this guy think he's greater than Abraham? Jesus is right there. They said, why, you think you're greater than Abraham? He doesn't say he isn't. He instead, he's like, listen, Abraham was waiting for this day. And he said, they said, Jesus, you're not even 50 yet. How would Abraham, how would you know what Abraham thinks? And he said, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was, I am. He picked, they picked up stones to stone him because he said, the name of God, I am. He referred to himself with that name. Jesus said he was the Messiah. He said he was the I am. He was God in human flesh and bone. And so his first claim, I am the Messiah. And if that claim is true, there's a second claim that's true as well. And it's this, Jesus said, I am the only way. So this confusion, again, it's not just reserved for the woman at the well, it's not just reserved for these religious leaders, but go to, we're gonna flip to John 14. These are his friends. These are the, his own disciples who've been with him. They're watching him cast out demons, feed the 5,000. They're watching him do ministry. They're living life with him. They weren't even sure who Jesus was. They asked him essentially the same question. This is what they said. Verse one, they said, he, this is Jesus talking. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Why are they troubled? Let's back up for just a second. So Jesus is talking about his time is coming to leave. This is also known as maybe like the upper room discourse. Like they've had the last supper that Judas has already left to betray Jesus. His disciples are anxious. They're, they're nervous, they're scared, they're sad. And this is what Jesus said. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be with me where I am. And then he says, verse four, you know the way to the place I am going. But then I love this, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know the way to where you're going, so how can we know the way? Thomas gets such a bad rap sometimes. Like, ever heard of Doubting Thomas? How about Honest Thomas? I, I mean, I love Thomas. He, he, he voices what the group is thinking. You know, they're all like, oh, thanks for asking, Thomas. <laughs> Questions are not bad. Questions are good, you know, especially when you're asking Jesus. Like, our culture kind of has this badge of honor with just living in the questions. Like, we just ask questions forever. But we're really, Jesus loves it when we ask questions. Let's take him up on his word. Let's, it, it depends on who we ask the question to. So let's ask Jesus. He says, seek, ask, seek, knock, and I will answer. So I love that. Verse six, Jesus answered. He didn't belittle, he didn't shame, he answered. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Here's the claim. I am the way and the truth and the life. And if you didn't get that, if you weren't sure what I meant by the and not a, no one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way and the truth and the life. So the way, truth and life here in the original language, they're describing the way. So this way is true and this way leads to life. 
And by the way, Jesus is the only one who's able to say my truth and be accurate. He's like, this is my truth right here. The way is not a road. The way is not a religion. And the way is not an experience. The way is a person. Jesus is the way. And the way is going somewhere. That's why they're all confused about it. Where are you going? Thomas said, I don't know. We don't know where where you're going. First off, we don't need to know. If you're with Jesus, it doesn't matter, right? But he's so gracious. He lets them in on it. And he, we even see more than they fully saw at this moment. But we didn't, we, we didn't, he didn't get it yet. He said, no one comes to the Father except through me, verse 7. If you really know me, you'll know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him. Get it? From now on, right now. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. That'll be enough for us. Like, they're still like, wait, 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 just show us the Father. And he said, don't you know me, Philip? I think he's a little sad. Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? These words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. Why? Because I am going to the Father. So the question Thomas asked and the question Philip asked, where are you going? And the answer is this, he's going to the Father. But how was he going to the Father? Philippians 2.6 says this, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The way is a person, and the means back to the Father is a cross. And so he was going somewhere we couldn't go, to the depths of hell and back again for us. He didn't just come here to be a good teacher or a nice prophet. No, he came to be the way back to the Father by the cross. And so Jesus is the way because he did the work. And Jesus is the way to salvation because he did the work required for salvation, which you and I could never do. 2 Corinthians 5.21, one of my favorite verses, the most succinct gospel maybe in the whole Bible. He, God the Father, made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin, so that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. We had sin and could not get to the Father. Jesus had no sin, and yet he laid his life down so that we could get back to the Father. Jesus is the way because Jesus did the work. The one who was there at creation, who all things were made by and for him. You know, we have each religion going up their own mountain, and here we have the maker of the mountain getting on the cross for you and for me to restore what was broken by sin, to die the death we deserved and to be raised to life so that we could know and follow in his path to be with God forever because we are with Jesus. We're with the way. Talk about exclusive. Let's get back to that part. Who else could walk this path? Only one could do it. It's a narrow way. But his exclusivity is what makes him inclusive. 
Jesus is the only way so that everyone can have a way. The most inclusive, exclusive truth there ever was for God so loved who? The world, you could say it, yeah, the world, everyone. That's so inclusive. Every single person on planet Earth, he sent his only son, very exclusive, the only one who could do the work so that he could save us, so that why, whoever, so inclusive, whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So for some of us, we hear that word exclusive and we think of our family, we think of friends, we think of a a name, just pops to mind. The gospel, but the gospel's for everyone to hear, but not everyone has heard. And so I was just thinking today though, for God so loved the world, but isn't it true that for God so loved your world? He so loved my world, he loves everyone in your world. There's no difference, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but are justified freely in him. Romans 5, 8, like while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so he died for everyone in our world, in our world, my world, like all the people in my periphery, all the people in my immediate core, all the people that I know and will ever know. And so it's so personal. Who needs to know about the gospel in your life? Because he loves your world. And if we believe Jesus is the way for me, we believe Jesus is the way, we believe Jesus is the way for them. And so as the the Holy Spirit puts someone on our hearts, um, even as we go into this next time, just pray that he would position our lives, purpose our lives to be the body of Christ, to be the church, to fulfill the Great Commission and to bring people to know him. And then for some of us, we hear exclusivity. And if it was me back in college, I'd be like, no, 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 that sounds really restricting. I'm talking about boys, you guys, okay? But like, when I said yes to Brett 13 years ago, I said no to everyone else. Exclusivity can be very freeing. All the other options became non-options. There's such a freedom and commitment. And there's a great peace knowing that the one I choose chooses me. And yeah, there'll be sorrow, there'll be joy, there'll be ups and downs, but we'll do it together. And we don't have this back door escape plan, you know, where we're, it's till death do us part. And marriage, even in scripture, it's this picture of Christ in the church. It's this picture of our relationship with Jesus. As imperfect as we are, he's perfect. We commit to Jesus, he is committed to us for life. We say yes to him and we say yes to him, we say no to all others, any, including any other claims to, besides Jesus. And so I just wanna pray for us as this time comes, as we go into this time of worship, um, we're all going somewhere. And this word really uh, wants, God wants to impact us through his word. He wants to intersect it with your heart, with your story. And I really believe that the time is now for a lot of us, whatever that looks like for us tonight. For some of us, I really believe it is coming to know him for the very first time. So let's pray for that. Will y'all pray with me? If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thanks for listening to the Passion City Church Podcast.